I'm turning this morning, friends, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Well, friends, we're looking uh, this morning at a very wonderful, very consoling, and a very comforting doctrine, and that is the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of adoption. A God adopting into his family those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who trust in the Savior. Once they belong to the world, once they belong to, the, to Satan, now through faith in Christ they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are loved by him. Before faith came, they were not the children of God. They didn't belong to him. They belonged to somebody else. Now they belong to the Father, God the Father. Now they're a part of God's family. Now, through believing in the Savior, they are called the sons and the daughters of God, the Almighty Himself. Galatians 3, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, friends, this is a tremendous doctrine. It really is. And I hope you will be able to grasp it uh, this morning because it will be of great comfort to your soul if you are the Lord's. Well, adoption follows on from our topic uh, last week of justification. Uh, if you are new amongst us, we've been going through uh, the order of salvation, uh, the way that God deals with the soul. Yes, from the outside, uh, we can see, as it were, somebody once a non-believer, then they're a, a confessing, a faith in, in Christ, they're a believer, and we're looking a little bit more uh, in detail at that very process. We're zooming in uh, as, it, as it was to see the individual stage, stages and what happened, what, what transpired between that person being an unbeliever and now being a Christian, confessing faith, living for the Lord, rejoicing in Christ. And we saw uh, this order in, from Scripture beginning with effectual calling, God calling a person, and they responding to it because He is working in their heart through regeneration, regeneration being that implanting of new life, a spiritual life uh, from, from God Himself, planting it, creating it in a soul, and then leading to conversion and uh, faith in Christ and repentance. And eventually, uh, now, last week we saw that was followed by justification, a declaration that we are right with before God, a declaration that God sees those who are in Christ as perfect, as without sin. Amazing, isn't it? That, but that's the doctrine of justification. And today we come now to that which follows justification, adoption. Well, adoption, as we said, is so wonderful, but sadly we don't hear very many sermons about adoption. We hear a number of sermons, and we should, it's right, we should hear sermons on justification. It's crucial, it's vital for us to know that our salvation is by faith in Christ, 
and not by works. It's, it's essential for us to know that. But we also need to hear a few more on adoption. Justification leads to adoption. Adoption follows, as we've said, uh, justification. Justification tells us that we are in a right standing before God. Adoption tells us that we are God's children. Justification, the scene uh, is a courtroom. And in uh, adoption, well, the scene is a family. Justification, uh, God is presented to us as a judge. In adoption, God is presented to us as a father. So it's uh, wonderful. We could com combine uh, the two, really. Uh, here is, let's say, a courtroom, and there is the judge, and he comes to that decision uh, that uh, he declares uh, that one who believes in Jesus, he declares him uh, not guilty, he declares him uh, righteous, but then he doesn't just let that person go and, and carry on his own life. He brings that particular person into his own family. And he begins to treat him as his own son and to uh, encourage him and to bring him into his own home and amongst share in all the benefits that he has in his family. And he becomes also a part, uh, an heir of his kingdom. That's what God does uh, for us. He takes us uh, into, not only declares us righteous, but then he takes us into his own family. He protects us. He treats us as a father does his children. He loves us with a, such an amazing, infinite love, a love that he will never remove from us. He feels for us. He pities us. His eye is ever upon us. You become the apple of his eye as a believer, and he cares for you. He provides for you, and he makes you an heir of his kingdom. Oh, it's so wonderful. How amazing, friends, is that? Isn't it? Well, friends, adoption, uh, justification is a high uh, privilege, and adoption, they say, is excels uh, even uh, justifica uh, justification. But before we uh, look, uh, delve a bit more into adoption, uh, I have to f just first address and say a little bit about a teaching that is still somewhat prevalent uh, today, and that is the teaching that all of us, everyone, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, everyone is, uh, is God's child. God is a father to everyone, and we are all brothers and sisters in this world. It's called the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. That we all, uh, God is our, the father of all. And uh, scriptures which are quoted by these people, it's actually a liberal theology, uh, came from a German scholar, uh, but uh, the scripture that uh, they use is Acts 17, 28 and 29, where Paul says we are the offspring of God. Or in Hebrews 12, 9, uh, which talks about being in subjection to the father of spirits. Aha, they say, the father of spirits. Oh, that's all of us, you see. We are all the offspring of God. That's the way of thinking, that's a way of explaining it. But is it true? Is it true that we are all? Well, in one sense, uh, yes, we all are, are, are the offspring of God, but it's as God is our creator. 
He's referring to God as our creator. He is the creator of everyone. He is the maker of everyone. He is the one who gives life, yes, to everyone. But the Bible actually makes a very clear distinction to say that he's not the father of everyone. He is the father of believers and believers alone. This distinction is actually evident uh, throughout the scripture. We could go back uh, to Exodus chapter 4. We've been studying uh, Exodus in our Bible studies during the week. And uh, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, uh, the Lord, uh, through Moses, uh, said to Pharaoh, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go. And if you do not let him go, behold, I will slay thy son. God says, Israel is my son. He doesn't say every nation is my son. There's a distinction there. This is my, my, my particular son. And then the New Testament, uh, John 1, 11 and 12. Uh, we read that when Christ came into this world, well, he was born, as you know, uh, in Palestine. Uh, he lived as a Jew. He was brought up amongst the Jewish people. They, they were his people, but not everyone received him. Not every one of those Jewish people acknowledged who he was. They didn't receive his claims. Some did. Some did. And it's only to those who did receive him, to those who did welcome him and accept him as he was, as he said he was the Son of God. To them who believed on him, we read, as many as did receive him, to them gave he power. To them gave he the right, the authority, the right to become the sons of God. Not to all the Jews, but only those amongst them who believed in him. Oh friends, naturally, even the Bible says, naturally we're not born into this world as children of God. Naturally we are born into this world as children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. Christ said something quite shocking in John 8. In John chapter 8, he was talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees uh, uh, were protesting uh, to Christ, oh, we have God as our Father. We have one Father, even God. And the Christ's reply, oh, listen to this. He said, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. This is Christ speaking. And he said this uh, to the Pharisees. Now, friends, I'm going to shock you as well a bit because it's not just the Pharisees, but it's anyone who is outside of Christ, anyone who doesn't have faith in Christ. Well, you are not in God's family. You're in the devil's family. That's what this word is saying. That's what Christ is saying. You belong to him. Your father is the devil. That's what Christ is saying. Chuck, horror, no, no, not me. I don't want to be... Uh, in the devil's kingdom, I recoil uh, from such a thought as that. It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse, friends, because uh, the Lord goes on to say, the lusts of your father you will do. He said that to them, and it's same applicable also to us. If we are in the devil's kingdom, in the devil's family, we will do what the devil likes. As somebody uh, said, we are chips of the old satanic block. We do as our Father tells us. We follow the lust. We're not fighting against it. Oh, friends, uh, this is we're either in one family uh, or another. That's why we need conversion. 
That's why we need to be brought uh, out of the devil's family. And conversion is the only way, the only method in, uh, to bring us from the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus uh, Christ. But let's go back to a little bit more positive topic, and that is uh, this adoption. Adoption then is a change in our relation uh, to God. Uh, just like in justification, it's a, we said and emphasized that it's a declaration. It's not something that God does in us. It's a declaration. It's a pronouncement, a legal act. Well, in a similar way, adoption also is like that. John 1.12 again, to those who receive Christ, he gave them the power to become the children of God. He gave them the right. He gave, he gave them the authority, the legal paperwork for them who, who, who trust in Christ to say, yes, I can now call myself a child of God. This is their new status. They have the honor, they have the privilege of being members in God's household. Now, the way we think about adoption, or perhaps I should say, how do you think about adoption? What, when you think of this word, more, more than likely you have in your mind a couple of uh, 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 parents, uh, husband and wife, perhaps they have no children, and they long to have a child, and so they, 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 they manage to, to find an, an orphan maybe, and somebody, a young baby, and you see, oh, so very cute, so very lovely, you know, let's bring him, let's adopt him into our family or her, and uh, perhaps you think about that in that way, and they go through that whole long process, and fill in all the paperwork, and at the end, they have a baby, and they bring up that baby uh, as their own. That's how we generally think, isn't it, about adoption. But in the Bible, it's uh, quite different. When we go back to the New Testament times, uh, adoption was not really the adoption, uh, what Paul is referring to here, is not really the adopting of a, a baby. It's an, an adult. You would, uh, in the, Greek, the Greeks uh, and Romans, uh, adopted in a different way. Uh, here is, a, let's say, a wealthy uh, Roman citizen. He has uh, no uh, children, uh, no one that he can uh, pass uh, his uh, wealth onto. He's got all this money sitting in the bank, and uh, he's got property behind him, but he's got no child to inherit all these things. So what does he do? Well, he, he adopts somebody. Perhaps it was somebody from the uh, slaves uh, that were around at that time, and he brings that particular young person or adult into his family, and he begins to train them, and he begins to educate them, and he looks after them, and he treats them as, as his son. And then when he passes away, well, that person uh, picks up the inheritance. He becomes an heir. He is preparing somebody to be the heir of his inheritance. And that's how Paul uh, uses even the words here. Galatians 4 verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. In Romans 8, 17. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We will inherit with Christ the kingdom uh, prepared for us. We will inherit a place in heaven. We will inherit a place in, with, in heaven where all those tremendous uh, blessings are spoken of. We will inherit uh, eternal happiness as God's people. This is the portion of all God's children and so much more. But it's not just a declaration with adoption. 
you know how somebody who is adopted into a family, well, they may have all the benefits, but they themselves, well, just don't feel like I'm a part of this family, they may say. They may still feel estranged from their adopted mother and adopted father. Uh, you know, they may feel uh, like that, but it's uh, with, with biblical adoption, uh, it's spiritual adoption, it's somewhat different. Adoption not only gives us the rights of children, but through that regeneration, we are also given the nature of children. And we are given a sense of belonging uh, to God, that we are given a real sense, this is my family, God is my father. There's a real felt sense of belonging uh, 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 to this particular family. We feel that we are no longer a part of the world. We feel we don't belong to that uh, uh, fallen world anymore. We feel now we have God as our Father. He is our uh, dear Heavenly Father. Before, we ran from Him. We cringed before Him. We cowered before Him. Now, we run to Him. And we cry, as Paul says here, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, verse 6, because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That means almost Daddy, Daddy. That's how close, that's how intimate. Oh, friends, this is a great privilege, a great honor that you can call and address the Almighty God as a Father. You know, Muslims cannot do that. They never address God as Father, but you can. And you are given the Spirit of God where He comes, He works uh, in you, He moves, moves you, He encourages you to address God as Father with freedom and with confidence and with boldness. Oh, friends, when you go to your Heavenly Father, you don't need to go like Oliver Twist. You remember how Oliver Twist went, cowering and with quivering lip and mumbling, please, sir, can I have some more? Uh, you don't have to go to God like that. He'd be surprised. If my son came to the dinner table like that, I would be very disappointed. What's happened? I think there's something wrong with him. Oh, friends, uh, you don't need to approach your heavenly father in that way. He knows all about you. He welcomes you. Uh, to his table. He welcomes every approach you make to him. He will never turn you away. His door is always open to you. His ear is always open to your cry. He will always hear you because you are his child and he is your father. What father would turn away his children? None of us would do that. Christ himself uh, taught us, isn't it, to pray. He taught his disciples and, and us uh, when you pray, he said, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. That's how we begin, with thoughts of him. What a privilege. That's why I have no time, friends. You may have heard the Church of England, and they're trying to get rid of this initial phrase in the Lord's Prayer. And in their quest to be genderless, they want to get rid of the Our uh, Father. Well, we have no time, really, uh, for that. Uh, they, uh, we leave it uh, to them. Oh, we have to say a little bit as well to our charismatic friends, isn't it? Uh, so much focus really there on uh, the Spirit and His power and the miraculous, and they want to, uh, the emphasis on that. But look at this word here God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Oh, that's the work of the Spirit. That's what we need. Assurance in our hearts that we are God's children. Help in addressing Him. Power to live a holy life. Power to live as children who are pleasing Him. Not miraculous. Not the extraordinary. This is what the God provides for us in the Spirit. Well, friends, adoption secures so many other privileges and advantages for us. And I can only uh, list a few of them here. Uh, the pity of God. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Adoption secures for us the protection of God. Adoption secures for us the provision of God. Matthew 6, 32. You know it uh, so well, but perhaps we've forgotten it. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. What things? The things that the Gentiles are so worried about. The things your Father knows. Oh, to know that my Father knows, well, that's an encouragement in itself. But He will provide uh, for us. Then, of course, we mustn't omit that uh, as part of His fatherly duties, He must uh, discipline us. He must train us. He must chastise us, perhaps, uh, if we go down the wrong route. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Hebrews 12, verse 6. If we go astray, if we make decisions in our lives without consulting him, if we become cold in our love to him and uh, slovenly in our ways and our uh, leaving off prayer, we become uh, too attached maybe uh, to the world. He may have to send some trouble into our lives to, to wean us from the world again. This is how he deals. It's always for our good. Even if he sends trouble, either it's to train us or it's to discipline us in some way or to chastise us in some way. As we said last week, it's not a penal punishment. It's a fatherly chastisement because he doesn't want his son or his daughter to go down the wrong way. So all these things he does for us, for our spiritual uh, well-being. Oh, friends, adoption. In adoption, of course, we are brought into God's uh, family. And in this family, you're not the only one. There are other brothers, there are other sisters uh, also in this family. The local church, well, it's a microcosm, isn't it, of, the, of God's uh, family. Uh, believers, well, we are never meant to be on our own. We're never meant to be individual worshippers. God never meant us to be solitary worshippers just worshipping at home. God meant us, God, we read, puts the solitary in families. That's why in the New Testament, when people were converted, one of the first things that they sought to do was, now where shall I join myself? Which church shall I become a member of? That was one of the first things they did. They joined themselves to a local church family. The word join, it means to, to glue themselves to. They stuck themselves to. They addicted, as it were, themselves to a particular local church in their area. And that's church membership. That's, the, that's part of being in the family of God. This is what the pattern was in the, old, in the New Testament. Oh, friends, if you're not a member, why not? Why not? What hinders you from being a member? Don't you like your brothers and sisters? Is it something uh, 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 wrong with them? 
Are you afraid of commitment, perhaps, uh, to the church? Afraid of being asked to do things and responsibilities being put in your plate, on your plate? Well, friends, in every family, you know, there are both privileges and there are also responsibilities. We cannot only want the privileges and not want to, uh, to pull our weight as a family. Even in a small family where there are children, young children, they all have to have their responsibilities as well in some way or other, even if it's just the children coming down uh, on time uh, for, for lunch, or mum calls, well, every, everyone should uh, come, the children should come rushing uh, down in obedience. It's part of their responsibilities. Well, friends, also for us, uh, we, uh, we cannot just accept uh, the privileges of being in God's family and leave all the responsibilities to our other brothers and sisters and put all the weight on their hand, on, the, on their shoulders. We also have to, uh, together, as one family, seek to help one another. What shall we say? What shall we say before uh, when our Father, when we stand before him on that day? Well, may we be encouraged to do that. And just one final thought before we close on this subject of adoption, and that is, there is an adoption uh, to come. If you look with me at Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 23, we read, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. What's that? A redemption to come? Waiting for the adoption? Well, in one sense, we have the adoption already, but there's also a future adoption to come. And Paul tells us what it is, the redemption of our body. In fact, in terms of redemption, adoption rather, we could go back and say God uh, yeah, predestinated us to adoption in eternity past. In real time, we become his sons and daughters by faith in Christ. But then there's this future adoption, the redemption of our bodies, when there will be a total uh, redemption, a full redemption, when our sin will be removed from our souls, when we will uh, obtain those new bodies where, which cannot wear and tear, those new bodies which cannot uh, corrupt, no more weaknesses, no more uh, dishonor, no more mortality. It will be just like unto Christ's glorious body. That's a part of our adoption, the full redemption of our souls and our bodies. Well, friends, uh, this is the sum of the entitlements that are given to us through adoption. What a privilege. What a, to be a part of this family and a part uh, to be a, an heir to all the things God has prepared for us. This is what we're waiting for. This is uh, what we anticipate. Well, let's close by seeing our final hymn, number 500. And 54, behold what wondrous grace, 554.